The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Today, Jaws of Justice is going to air the recording from a January 30, 2023 event in Lawrence, Kansas, when Justice Matters invited the public to learn about the Vera Report. So, who is Vera? The Vera Institute for Justice is a nonprofit national organization that partners with impacted communities and government leaders for transformation of the criminal, legal, and immigration systems so that money doesn't determine freedom, fewer people are incarcerated, and everyone behind bars is treated with dignity. The Vera Institute works with government and community partners across the country to advance research, analyze policy, pilot programs, and implement solutions on the ground. Working on nearly 60 projects in 40 states, Vera is committed to developing solutions to the most pressing injustices of our day. Vera created a 68-page report about incarceration in Douglas County, Kansas, and Justice Matters held a public forum so that every citizen could know what their data revealed that problems with the incarceration of people in Douglas County, Kansas had a disproportionate impact on people of color, women, and persons of lower income to a greater extent than the impact on white, male, and higher-income residents of the county. Further, Vera has made recommendations on how those disparities can be remediated. We'll play the calendar in the middle of our hour. Please don't think we're just talking about a county in Kansas. Vera's reports show the same story happening from one end of our country to the other. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now to our show. We'll open listening to Pastor Joanna Herriter open the Justice Matters Public Assembly, which presents the Vera Report to the public. We feel like this is a very significant report for our community, and we think that the more people who know about it, the better we as a community will be able to support our leaders as they seek to implement some of these recommendations that have come from Vera. So we want to be a support and an encouragement and an accountability for the leaders in our community as we work together on this issue. We are grateful that the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, which is the CJCC, they have already received an overview of the report. Um, they invited people from Vera Institute to come and present to them, and they're currently studying the report and plan to discuss it further at their meeting this month. So thank you again for being here, and I'm now going to turn it over to Carolyn Johnson, who will give some background information for us. I'm Carolyn Johnson, and I also am a member of the Justice Matters Alternatives to Incarceration Committee, and I'm pleased to be here and to see uh, such a good turnout this evening. Uh, my job is to give you a little bit of an introduction to the topic, basically. So across America in the last 40 or 50 years, 
there's been an exponential increase in the number of people in America housed in jails and prisons. And the term mass incarceration was invented to describe that phenomenon. And uh, it, it is intended to alert people to the fact that in America, we incarcerate more people, more of our population, both in actual real numbers of people and in terms of percentage than any other country in the world. And it's a little bit scary. And this approach to putting people in prison and jail and keeping them there, uh, often longer than they need to be there, uh, isn't justified by public safety. We like to think that we are keeping people safe by keeping people in jail, but we're really not. It's, uh, the safety concerns have turned out not to, uh, not to be justified. In terms of dollars, it costs a lot to keep people in prison and in jail. And just in terms of money, as taxpayers, we are wanting to know where our money's going. Our tax dollars would be better spent, and, and evidence shows this, if we provide services to people for substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, fair housing, affordable housing, and helping people get jobs. All of those things can help people be productive members of society. So how does this have anything to do with Douglas County, Kansas, and Lawrence, Kansas? Well, we have a jail. Have you ever been there? <laughs> uh, it's located on the east, southeast end of town on East 25th Street. It's very close to the homeless center next door. Uh, that jail was built in 1999, and it serves uh, the Douglas, entire Douglas County area. That covers more than one law enforcement department, so there are police departments for Lawrence, Eudora, and Baldwin, and then another police department for Kansas University. And then we also, for Douglas County, have a sheriff's department. All of those officers from all of those agencies bring people that they arrest to the Douglas County Jail for booking. Uh, so that jail, uh, built in 1999 with a $25 million bond issue, was supposed to meet our needs for 20 years. Five years after it was built, in 2004, it was already nearing capacity. Since it was built, population there has increased 70%, and in 2018, some of you may recall that that was prompting consideration of adding on to the jail. In 2018, Douglas County citizens voted down a jail expansion, and county commissioners uh, pursued that for a while, but finally, after COVID intervened, decided not to proceed with any expansion. COVID taught us a lesson there at the jail, and that was that we could empty the place and public safety would not suffer. Important lesson learned. So now we've saved the $30 million that we were going to spend for a jail expansion, and the question becomes, what do we do? And it's a great time for thinking about how can we better use those taxpayer dollars that we were going to spend building another addition to the jail. Can we spend them helping people who need help in our community? I got on the uh, Douglas County dashboard this morning, thanks to Dr. Cravens. We have wonderful dashboards that any of you people can um, look at to see who's at the jail and uh, what those people look like and a lot more information about them. I urge you to check it out. 
Well, when I checked it out this morning, as of Friday, there were 154 people in the jail. Capacity, again, 196. Those 30 or so beds are kept open for daily bookings. Um, and over the weekend, there were, I think, precisely 30 people um, brought in for booking into the jail. So full, again, or still, however you want to look at it. The vast majority of the people who are in jail have not been convicted of any crime. About 20% are there serving sentences for the state or for local charges. Most of them have not committed serious crimes. The average length of stay is 18 days. Um, and I think for me, the most startling thing that the dashboard reveals is that 45% of the people in our jail are racial and ethnic minorities. That number should astound you because the percentage of racial and ethnic minorities in our community is nowhere near 45%. So that's sort of the background, um, what has brought us um, to this evening. And now I'm going to turn it over to Reverend Ted Mosier, give us a little more context. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for helping us understand uh, a bit about the what of the system. So you may also be wondering about the who. So I think the best way to address that is to go back to the group that Joanna mentioned earlier, the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, or what we call the CJCC. This group was established in March of 2016 to promote the collaboration of between and among key criminal justice systems, officials, advisory bodies, agencies, departments, and community leaders who all work within our criminal justice system. Katie Fitzgerald is the new coordinator of this group and it is chaired by Pam Wiegand, the Director of Criminal Justice Services. Other CJCC members, quite a few of them, uh, district and municipal court judges, Suzanne Valdez, our district attorney, Douglas County Sheriff Jay Armbrister, police chiefs from Lawrence, Eudora, Baldwin, KU, the CEOs of Burt Nash, our mental health clinic, and DCCA, which coordinates many different social services, a criminal defense attorney, and a few community representatives also participate and one county and one city commissioner attend those CJCC meetings along with the director of behavioral health projects and a representative from court services. But last and certainly not least, especially for our purposes here tonight, is senior data analyst, Dr. Matt Cravens. He has worked closely with the Vera Institute to provide the data that they needed for the analysis that generated the report that uh, we have now. And he continues to make sure that we have access to accurate and relevant data so that it can help, it can help our community make all the best possible decisions about our criminal justice system. You can find a list of all the CJCC members and others that are involved in the system on the Douglas County website. But the point is not to know all their names or have them memorized, but to recognize that there are many people from a range of different positions that impact how our justice system works. 
So we want to say thanks for the VERA report because that report then allows those people to have good data and knowledgeable recommendations to look to as they do their important work. And so with that, I'd like to invite up Marty Dubois to now share a bit more about how this report from VERA came into being. I'm Marty Dubois, uh, just like the others, I'm part of this committee that is looking for incarceration alternatives. So what about this VERA Institute for Justice? You know, it's a nonprofit organization, nonpartisan, that works with state and local entities and, and local civic groups and local groups like Justice Matters. To, they work with these entities to improve uh, criminal justice systems throughout the country. In fact, they've done work in nearly all of the states of the union. Over the last 60 years, this entity has been in business of doing this kind of business for over 60 years. So various studies uh, like the one published for the Douglas County only possible with adequate data. Critical data for this study was made available through collaborations with Sheriff Armbruster and of course Matt Cravens, who we've mentioned several times here already. And they began, uh, that data became uh, more available in 2020. The Vera Institute did not just gather data, analyze it for a year, and then just you know, write a report all in a vacuum. They made a concerted effort with the help of Justice Matters and our committee to meet with everybody they could with in, the, in, the, in this criminal justice system. They uh, were very, very proactive. An example was in February of last year, Vera met with members of the CJCC, again, um, their racial and ethnic disparities work group and presented a short report that they'd put together called Bail and Jail in Douglas County, Kansas. Now in that meeting, that one-on-one face-to-face meeting, Vera uh, was able to meet with the different, with this, uh, with this subcommittee of the CJCC, get to know them, understand their approach to racial disparities and the impact of bail on jail incarceration uh, in Douglas County. Then in April, for, for a full week, Sarah Minion from Vera Institute was in Lawrence on an information gathering ses- session where they met in a, a slew of county and city staff, administrators, elected representatives, up and down throughout in about a dozen meetings. They met in small groups, uh, we took small groups from Justice Matters from our committee, many of whom were, you'll see and hear from tonight, uh, along with, in some cases, Matt Cravens, and met with groups that were not limited to, but including our sheriff, district attorney, four of the five city commissioners, two county commissioners, and the Lawrence uh, chief of police. The purpose of these meetings was to provide the initial findings of this report, to get feedback, to gain a better understanding of the issues, locally so they could write a much better report and explore potential solutions for Douglas County. Based on these data and information from their personal communications, the Vera Institute put together an extensive report highlighting key information about our system here in Douglas County, offering recommendations on how we might address some of the the issues. This report, you've heard, was presented to the CJCC in December. And they will more fully discuss it. It's on the agenda. It's the main thing on the agenda for the CJCC's next meeting on February 14. I believe that's Valentine's Day. So that's a a good, you can 
tie that with that to remember that, and you can tune in on this, these are public meetings, and they're always the second Tuesday of the month, open to the public. Encourage people interested in these types of issues to attend that meeting. Now the stage is, is, is really is kind of set now. Momentum is building. Community-wide support, however, is critical for meaningful changes in our local criminal justice system. So now let's take a look at the report itself, and I'll turn it back over to jo Joanna. Thank you, Marty. He called the report extensive, and it is. It's a 68-page report with an equally long title, Jail Charge Data Analysis and Jail Reduction Strategies for Douglas County, Kansas. Uh, we are not going to be able to get into all of the nitty-gritty and the methodology and the statistics of the report. Um, you do have a link on one of your uh, papers on your chair if you want to read the full thing. It is very available. It's available on the county website. We just want to pull out three key findings for you tonight, and we'll talk about what the finding is. Sam Allison Natale from Kansas Holistic Defenders, we're very grateful to him. He's here to share some stories of people in our community who have experienced these these conditions firsthand because it's hard to understand it all just with all of the wording and to understand, we wanna understand what it means for our neighbors in our community. And then we will also share some of the recommendations that Vera has given in the report for how we might address these three key findings. So the first one we wanna look at is something that Carolyn mentioned already um, that most bookings into the Douglas County Jail, and this is not unique to Douglas County, but most bookings into our jail are for minor nonviolent charges, and those include charges related to substance abuse, to supervision violations, or to conditions of poverty. So I would invite uh, Sam to come up and share a story. Um, thanks, y'all. I, when I was asked to share some stories there were so many clients with such similar stories that it was it was hard to pick them every one of our clients on misdemeanors who is in the jail is severely mentally ill there's just not an exception to that and the differences in sort of how that manifests we have one uh, young woman who we've been working for since we opened our doors virtually every time that she's released she'll get picked up on a trespass and uh, it's a trespass because the place that she had been staying was not safe. There, we very much suspect some kind of trafficking type of situation there. Uh, she copes with drugs, uh, and so um, you know when we win the argument on bond, it's often a question of when she'll end up back in. Um, more recent ones. Uh, just found in a trailer, an abandoned trailer in a trailer park um, with um, some drugs. Um, we have people, uh, the trespass, when, when we're talking about the folks who um, we're like, we know that this person is going to get picked up again, it's always going to be usually um, a trespass. Um, people can be charged for trespassing from the library uh, if they're told to leave uh, and, and don't, um, or the shelter. Uh, or from Burt Nash. I, I have a lot of number of clients who've been arrested uh, in 
Burt Nash. Sometimes it's being where you're not supposed to be. Sometimes it's not being where you are. So one thing that we've done with some great success, I think, has been getting judges to issue an order of transport that someone remain in the custody of the Douglas County Jail, but that they serve that time uh, in a drug uh, rehabilitation center. But this can be a double-edged sword in that because they are technically in custody, if they leave that program or get kicked out of that program, and I've had clients kicked out of a drug rehab program for kissing somebody there, they will then be charged with felony escape. Well, depending on the level of crime that they're there for, uh, could be a felony escape from custody. And so the number of folks who, who are in this category of they're going to be picked up again soon and either are banned from various programs that otherwise might be effective for them or were already kicked out and it stacks up like that for them. Uh, and so, you know, we often tell the judges, look, we're going to fail here in, in one sense, but you fail a little better each time um, and try to uh, I sort of say that our job is to be a professional optimist and keep trying to get folks into to program uh, when it sticks, but it, it doesn't take a lot of failures before the gates of pretrial release are closed. You know, the what the judge hears at the bond hearing is, look, this person was on pretrial release and here they are again, evidently that uh, they're not amenable to this or they're not amenable to probation uh, or whatever else uh, means that then once you've exhausted that route, then the jail is the only alternative that is the only option that that's available there. Uh, and for the folks in this population, right, behavioral health court, I, I've had far more clients rejected from behavioral health court than accepted into it. It's, and so, but when I think of these minor and nonviolent offenses that lead to long jail stays, you know, we're, we're luckily not a place where one trespass will, will land you there, but it could be as few as two or three. And there's so many places that you can get trespassed from. Uh, and so that's who I'm, I'm thinking of in the jail right now. Thanks, Sam. So you can see these are fairly complex situations and there are all different types of minor nonviolent offenses that can land people in jail. Some of the recommendations that Vera offered, one is one that, that Sam mentioned, is prioritizing treatment options over incarceration options, um, which is something that our community um, has been working toward for a while and can do more in that direction, put more resources in that area. Um, there are also options that law enforcement officers have when they interact with people um, in nonviolent situations. Um, there are options for citations, for example, or setting a court date but not booking the person into the jail. Um, believe it or not, there are even people that we can send to deal with situations in our community who are not armed police officers. There could be citizen response teams um, for certain appropriate situations that wouldn't require law enforcement. A review of the local laws was also a suggestion they made. Sometimes officers are required to book people for certain offenses because of the laws that are on the books. There are some revisions and laws we can make here. And actually, uh, Justice Matters has some folks combing through, through all of the details of the city municipal code to see where there are places where the code might require incarceration, where it wouldn't be needed for public safety reasons. A public health approach, as Sam mentioned, prioritizing mental health care, 
um, and substance abuse treatment, and also the decriminalization of poverty, making sure no one is in jail because they can't afford to pay their fines, to pay their bail. Vera has said that people's financial situation should be considered early in the court process to make sure that they don't end up with court debt that they can't afford to pay. So those are just a few of their recommendations in terms of how to address the situation of people in the jail for minor offenses. Support for KKFI by Celtic in the Heartland, presenting the Kansas City Irish Band and So It Goes with special guest Jared Trimble. Proceeds from the concert benefit Celtic in the Heartland's initiative to educate and grow traditional Irish music focusing on the area's young people. The concert will be held at the Kansas City Irish Center, also known as Drexel Hall, on February 23rd at 7 p.m., located at the corner of Baltimore and Linwood. For more information and tickets, contact Michael Duggar at mduggar4329 at gmail.com. Visit Celtic in the Heartland online at celticintheheartland.com. Eco Radio KC, a locally produced exploration of positive solutions to the ecological challenges we face as we work to create a healthier future for our community and the planet. Hear from regional and national guests, find out about upcoming events, and learn how to keep yourself and your family well. Tune in each week from 6 to 7 on Monday evenings or listen anytime at kkfi.org slash podcasts. KKFI Winter Fun Drive is coming up February 10th through the 19th. It's a great time to support your local community radio station as we celebrate 35 years on the air in 2023. So tune in and pledge your support during the KKFI Winter Fun Drive starting February 10th. I'm fascinated. Now the calendar for the week of February 6th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri can provide free legal assistance to low-income and vulnerable Jackson County homeowners who fall behind on their payments and face foreclosure. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. You can find Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense event at momsdemandaction.org. These are open to all, mothers and others. Next Monday, February 13th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. is the Kansas Moms Demand Action 2023 Advocacy Day in the rotunda of the Kansas State Capitol, Topeka, Kansas. Please RSVP to act.everytown.org. Monday, February 6th, noon to 2.30, there's a clean slate expungement clinic in the auditorium of the Lawrence Public Library, 707 Vermont Street, Lawrence, Kansas. Those who have questions regarding the clinic and expungement eligibility may call the Legal Aid Clinic at 785-864-5464. Monday, February 6, 6.45 p.m., the Kansas City Criminal Justice Task Force has a meeting via conference call. If you'd like to join in, you can call 605 313 and when asked for the code, enter 454777. Friday, February 10th at noon, Empower Missouri's Friday Forum is online and the topic is Raise the Age. Teenagers have developing brains which often fail to understand the complex effects their action may cause. 
Missouri continues to allow children as young as 12 to be tried as adults in our court systems. You can come learn more about this policy and help to change it. More info at empowermissouri.org. Saturday, February 11th at 10 a.m., there's a Saturday brunch with Sly James at the Dialogue Institute of Kansas City, 4215 Shawnee Drive. Sly James will talk about the Opportunity Agenda, Building Cities for Our Children. RSVP by February 8th to Eventbrite. A list of services, meals, and hotlines is available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. Please take care of yourselves and others. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page, as well as the Jaws of Justice Radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. Now, let's return to hear more about a recent report from the Vera Institute of Justice concerning alternatives to jail in our local communities. And now Kirsten Kuhn, our illustrious uh, co-chair of our research team, um, we'll talk about another one of the key findings. <laughs> Thank you, Joanna. I'm, I'm not entirely sure I am illustrious, so don't let your hopes, you know, fly too high. Uh, <laughs> um, no, unfortunately, as we've heard um, from Sam, especially, uh, many people are booked into our jail, not because of the crimes they commit against other members of our community, but because they do not meet the sometimes overburdensome and occasionally arbitrary requirements set by the criminal justice system. Uh, a surprising number of folks end up in jail just for missing a court date or violating a technical condition of their probation or parole. At this point, 21%, 21% of our jail admissions are just solely due to failure to appear in court. It, that is an astronomical number of jail admissions. A full 40% of those 21% are just traffic cases. Yeah. Probation violations, second highest um, contributor to bed days. The, uh, the median length of stay for just a probation violation is 12 days in jail, just sitting on a technical violation, potentially. Uh, these missed court dates and violations can happen because people are unclear about requirements, but it's also that they may simply be unable to meet the requirements set by the court. So I'm gonna turn it over to Sam for another story that's gonna break our heart. So there's, there's two stories that I wanna talk about that I think illustrate how the, the crime that you really get punished for is the crime of not complying or not being able to. There's a young man, uh, his case is now resolved. I'm gonna call him Dave, that's not his name had, like many men in his young 20s, began to have the onset of schizophrenia. And there were substance issues. His parents tried their best, but, uh, you know, would dissociate, have outbursts, the like. And uh, finally, they, they called the police. Now, uh, it's the district attorney's policy to ask for any, any offense that involves another person uh, that a no contact order be granted at the time that bond is set. And, and that's a time where folks typically, unless they're represented by our office, do not have an attorney present when that no contact order is set. And frankly, in, in most of the time, uh, the state hasn't even talked to the alleged victim to find out if they want a no contact order, right? And, and when these offenses involve someone's family, 
that means that it is a judicial order that they not go home. Dave had no other place to go. So he, uh, he would go and sit on the porch and he wasn't supposed to be there. He got picked up on a violation of a protective order and then a second and then a third. And his attorney at that time ended up pleading out to all of them with probation. And in, in, in virtually every case in which probation is an offer for a misdemeanor, the underlying sentence for probation is the maximum that is allowed under the law, right? So you have like these year-long sentences hanging over your head for misdemeanors, which I don't think any, I don't think even your toughest judge would max someone on their first offense for a misdemeanor, but uh, it, it's, it's hanging over your head. And if you can't comply with probation, right, and there are a lot of ways to fail probation, being unable to attend your, your probation meetings, right? It, it doesn't matter if you call in and say, I don't have a car, I can't get there. And also there's people in probation in Douglas County who might live in any number of other different counties, right? So you live in Shawnee County and you can't make it, that's a, that's a violation of your probation, uh, or it could be. And that means that somebody who might have taken an offer of probation because it gets them out of jail with 12 months underlying then fails on probation and, and then the, it's concluded they're not amenable to probation and thus uh, they're looking at 12 months. And that's, that's what ended up happening to Dave. He did 12, he did a year on these violation of no contact orders. And then while he was in, had a psychotic break while at the jail, while his meds were on cycle, spat on a corrections officer involuntarily. In fact, I talked to the, the CEOs and they're like, oh, he's a you know, great kid. Uh, we know he didn't mean it, but it is technically a battery on a corrections officer that's a level five felony, right? Now, thankfully, uh, we fought that case and we ended up getting it dismissed and back with his parents and seems to be doing great. But that year of time, that could have easily turned into multiple years because of the felony, all out of violation of a no contact order that maybe shouldn't have issued, been issued in the first place, right? And so you can see how one small offense gets you into a situation where there, are, as you fail more, there are increasing obligations placed on you with higher and higher stakes each time, leading to people serving year-long sentences uh, or six-month-long sentences um, on misdemeanors. Uh, which, incidentally, I just want to say this, a year-long sentence on a, on a misdemeanor as an underlying thing is especially crazy when you look at the guidelines for uh, sentences, right? You could get less time on a felony under the guidelines, right, if you were charged with like a level nine felony was first time, then, then, then many people are getting as the underlying sentence on their probations for misdemeanors. And that's, and that's largely because of how the pleas are offered, right? Um, and and uh, the terms that are offered for a plea of probation, it's almost always the max underlying sentence and that's what's gonna be asked for when, when somebody fails probation. Think so. It is true that Douglas County Courts do have some measures in place to remind folks of their court date at this point and potentially to help folks get to court. 
Um, however, the VERA report recommends that we look into providing even like more further resources to support people who have court dates scheduled. In addition, and I think something that I'm just going to go off the cuff here and say I think is really key and would solve a lot of this is allowing officers on the street to be able to reschedule folks court date when they encounter them rather than immediately arresting them and booking them into the jail for failure to appear. Citation in lieu of arrest would resolve apparently 21 percent of our jail admissions and mostly the larger concern is that it's not so disruptive in people's lives. There's any number of reasons that someone might miss court. You know, employment, childcare, illness, for crying out loud. Um, there are, there's any number of reasons, and we can do more in this community to support folks who encounter life like we all do. And in terms of the uh, probation violations, though, Vera says the county should not jail, pe jail people free trial um, for technical violations. I think that's kind of a given, but especially things like missed appointments, positive drug or alcohol tests, especially if this is someone who's dealing with substance use issues, and especially mispayment of fees as well. Um, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Rick Kagan, and he's going to talk about our third key finding. Thank you, Kirsten. And uh, again, Rick Kagan here, member of the committee. And I want to talk about a key finding in the report about racial disparities. Uh, several troubling findings uh, in this report related to the demographics uh, in our jail. And the sheer numbers are very concerning. For every 100 men in the Lawrence area, ages 25 to 54, 12 have been booked into the Douglas County Jail. And a disproportionate number of these men are black. While 64% of people admitted to the jail before their trial were booked and released within 24 hours, uh, black and Native American uh, people were less likely to be released uh, uh, the same day and, as a result, uh, faced a longer stay in the jail. And on this, Sam has another story for us, if you'll come up. I have a story that I can say. So, by all means, first of all, I want to thank everybody here. I'm so proud that we You know, American incarceration is absolutely monetized. It's greater than any country around Okay, now, human nature and history tells us it's so much easier to punish people so much it doesn't look like you. So, the people who we appoint to make these rules and laws, the judges that are important, they have a history. So, think about whoever you vote for, whoever you support, look at their history. And they'll tell you exactly what they're going to do. So, now, our ex esteemed governor. Frank Keating of Oklahoma, he started Corrections Corporation of America. Now, I cannot stop the Corrections Corporation of America. I'm a stockholder, I expect profit, and so I profit from people of color who have enough money that can buy the things that they need. Recidivism is not rehabilitation, it's recidivism. The more people that can keep in jail, the more money that I can make. I have a son in prison. The resources in prison and the conditions are so bad because of mental illness. What we must understand is people who are getting killed and murdered every day in prison because of their condition, their mindset. Being put in solitary confinement for little or nothing. And you have corrections in jail taking care 
his people suffering also. Suffering also is not going to be established that way. So as we talk, and I love what you're saying, well, we're not going to talk, we're going to talk to the situation. Okay? We're not going to allow God's situation. They are killing me. They're killing me at a rate that we've never seen. It's a money. It's monetized. And we need to bring attention to it. At its core, it is so easy to persecute someone that doesn't look like you. They may shoot them on my skin at one time and outside. Okay? So let's do our research. Let's support our board. Because it's the only way that I have. This community, I'm so proud of you. How many communities can you come and have a mental health thing now? I can take you to places like Detroit, Chicago, New York, where people don't have what we want in Berlin. And just like she said, they wanted to extend the prison square footage. They stop right now. Right now, they stop, but they still want to do what they can. It's going to So as we do this, let's talk to our neighbors. Let's get the word out. Because it's not going to work if we're not together, if we're not supporting our board, and the different ideas that they come up with. My name is Mark. I think you will let me Yeah, I think everything on the systemic piece that, that he's saying is, is correct. I wanted to give an anecdote of, of sort of what some of the racial disparities look like because there are case, there's, there's a case that we just won at trial on Friday that illustrates so many points of systemic racism in the decision-making process. One part of systemic racism is who gets the police called on them and why. And so this was a case where a client was charged with child endangerment for leaving his son alone two hours. Nothing bad had happened to the kid. The only reason the police was called is because a racist neighbor had called the police when she found out the parents weren't home. She got on the stand and we found out she doesn't like them as neighbors. She wanted them to move away, said they were generally to her and that they were annoying for playing loud Mexican music. That was how the police got called. When the police get called, I think, saw the worst, saw a negligent situation, right? The house was clean, it was well stocked, the kid was eight years old, but the police saw a situation where they, they, they started writing the affidavit before they even talked to anyone. So, so the, the case gets charged, right? We apply for diversion. This is a slam dunk for diversion, obviously. There's nothing on his criminal record, no, no reason. Uh, we got denied for diversion. And, and that's unfortunately not surprising for Kansas Holistic Defenders clients. Even though black clients only make up 20% of our clients, they make up 40% of our clients who are denied for diversion. And this could be a variety of different reasons that this comes to place. Like, there are some where the, you know, if it was a minor battery for like slapping the hat off of a, uh, a bus driver, right? I thought it was a diversion case. The, the bus driver wanted, the, wanted this kid to get the maximum, the maximum possible, right? And I think that that then takes in, if, if the DA's office is saying, well, we're only gonna give diversion if the uh, alleged victim is, is okay with it, well, if your alleged victim has bias, then the decision it's going to be biased. So there are a lot of reasons why this can come into play from the, who calls the police, 
with the police responses from the alternatives to incarceration that are uh, either made available or not made available to someone. And um, it's, it's entirely possible that he could have ended up with an attorney that didn't want to go to trial on it. We did. Uh, the judge dismissed actually dismissed the charges as soon as the prosecutor was was done speaking. It was that fast. But it could have been the case that he had been pushed into taking a plea and then back on probation. Um, and the, the last thing I, I do want to say is that the there's racism also in the hoops that you have to jump through even once you are looking at a sentence or being sentenced. So if it's a domestic violence offense, you have to get assessed for the level of risk that that they believe that you you pose, right? Uh, and then that determines whether you're going to get a four-hour anger management course or a 26-week, $35 a week uh, batter's intervention program, right? That the studies on this indicate that those those testing metrics are subject to implicit bias uh, on the part of the uh, the assessor, right? It may be that you uh, are required to do uh, certain kinds of programming that isn't available in Spanish. We were only aware of one provider who could, uh, in Kansas, who could provide drug and alcohol classes, just the eight-hour classes. It's not a huge lift, but it's required for almost every DUI that would provide those in Spanish. They stopped providing those. Um, and so now people have conditions of probation or conditions of diversion that are virtually impossible to meet. And so the you can see how even without a even even if you don't think that anyone's intending to be racist in this scenario right um it would be difficult to believe that any part of our justice system is not inflected by some amount of racism and the way that these stack over time uh can turn a minor offense into a, a maze of obligations that one uh cannot meet Thank you, Sam. And so let's turn to the recommendations in this section of the report, because there are things that we can do here in Douglas County to reduce uh, the jail population in general, and that will also address the racial disparities that are inherent uh, in our system. And one key way uh, to reduce jail time for people who have not been convicted of a crime is for the courts uh, to stop imposing bail and instead establish uh, conditions for release that do not require uh, monetary payments. Uh, the current bail schedule uh, likely contributes to racial disparities, and that bail schedule is essentially a set of criteria that the court uses uh, to decide uh, how to set bail. So the Vera report also encourages us to ensure that all people have access to qualified lawyers as early as possible in their court process. So I want to wrap up this section of our program tonight and just offer a brief conclusion about our discussion about these key findings and recommendations from the Vera report. Because the report just begins to touch on uh, what we found to be some of the most significant issues. Uh, there are many more details and statistics and charts in the report and as Joanna had mentioned earlier, I would encourage you to read uh, the details 
and to, to download a copy of the report. So these will further explain uh, what we've reviewed tonight as well as some of the findings that we haven't uh, yet mentioned. We're very grateful to the people at Vera Institute uh, uh, for Justice for providing the report, and we're grateful to those who provided uh, Vera with the data that they needed uh, to get the report uh, together. In particular, uh, Dr. Matt uh, Craven, our data analyst here in Douglas County, and we're grateful to our county leaders uh, for receiving the report and considering its recommendations and we look forward to working with them and with all of you to improve our justice system and to strengthen our community. February 14th, that is the date when the CJCC will begin to uh, react to the presentation of that report, which they received in December. Our co-leader of uh, the uh, research team, Deb Eggstrom, will now share with you some ways that you can be involved in this important work. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. So um, first of all, just to tell you ways that you can take action moving forward from this informational session tonight. So of course, we want you to read and the keyword share the Vera report. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, your faith community, any organizations you belong to, and um, encourage them to become knowledgeable because knowledge is power and that's what this is all about. Engage with the CJCC. There are ways to get on the Douglas County website, listen, you can even listen later. You know, you don't have to listen to the live stream of the meeting. Join Justice Matters. We'd love to have you join us to help take on some of these issues in our community. And then come to the Action Assembly. This is a Justice Matters event where we ask our elected leaders to come and commit to some of the things that we think are important. We do a lot of research. Nothing is off the cuff or out in left field, but we, we research and we come up with the things that we want to ask our leaders to do. And that is on May 7th at three o'clock at the LEAD Center. You can put that on your calendar and um, just show up for people power. The more people that are there, the more information they'll receive and the more people power. You know, Justice Matters always says there's organized people and organized money. Well, we don't have organized money, so we're counting on organized people. And the last thing is the community bail fund, and Kirsten's gonna come up and talk a little bit about that. Thank you, Deb. Hi again, Kirsten Kuhn. Um, in addition to being the co-chair of the Jail Alternatives Committee, um, I am also independently of Justice Matters, um, beginning, starting, have started, uh, a community bail fund here for Douglas County. Oh, were you going to clap? Yeah, clap. It's great. It's very hard work to set up a nonprofit, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> um, our mission is to reduce the financial burden placed on legally innocent Douglas County defendants through voluntary local support and intentionally to obstruct the use of pretrial detention where there is no safety risk to this community. And also, we do want to help people remain in the community with their families and, you know, support a more equitable criminal justice system process. You know, I think Joanna, like, pointed to the fact that, you know, 
this is a lot of minor nonviolent crime that we're incarcerating folks for. Um, in fact, 74% of the admissions to the jail and 44% of bed days are pre-trial only. Pre-trial only. Three quarters of our people have not been convicted and are legally innocent. Even a short time incarcerated can have extreme impacts on people. Folks who remain incarcerated before their case is resolved face an increased likelihood of conviction, a longer, um, on average, a longer sentence, and even an increased risk of recidivism compared to those who are able to remain in the community and continue working, maintaining their community ties, assisting in their own defense, all these very important things that you cannot do when you are behind bars. Pretrial detention is not cost effective. It almost never improves public safety and it undermines our presumption of in, um, innocence. That's like the foundation of our criminal justice system. You have to be proven guilty. The fact that we're incarcerating this many folks pretrial should alarm even an ostrich with his head in the sand in some other continent. I, I don't know, it's, it's out of control. FTA being the top charge, 45% of those have cash assurity bond. So if you didn't appear at court potentially because you were scared of having to pay a fine that you couldn't afford, now you haven't shown up, now you have a cash assurity bond, now you can't get out. Um, this goes back to our final key point of poverty-related incarceration. This, this is a system of injustice where only folks without resources remain incarcerated, and if you're a person of means, you are released. Currently, unfortunately, our bail fund is only able to support Lawrence Municipal Court because we're brand new. Um, we're only officially incorporated as of November of last year, so we're looking for your support. Um, we do hope to grow um, to a larger point, uh, we did start local um, because misdemeanor charges typically carry lower bond amounts. So our hope is that we can, with whatever support we can receive, we can spread that around to more individuals rather than fewer. Although in the future, we do hope to expand, especially into the, the other municipal courts and district court as well. Um, our focus at this point, um, we are prioritizing caregivers and caretakers, of course. And um, there are certain things that we are not addressing. Um, domestic violence is one, if that's the concern you have. Um, we're not wading into those issues. And uh, yeah, and we do want to expand. We are incorporated as a 501c3, so all of your contributions are tax deductible. And I have a lovely book. I would love to write you a receipt. And so please consider donating. Uh, I can tell you 100% of our board of directors has donated either financially or in-kind donations because we believe in this work. And you know, Mark was back there talking about, I appreciate his comments about how this is a system of money. And the fact is, it is a system of money. And so we need money to counter that. And I, I'll tell you, I'm not comfortable asking for money, but this is an important, important thing. If it's a municipal court charge, it is misdemeanor. This is low level crime. <laughs> maybe it's crime, but maybe it's crime. Uh, <laughs> so do consider supporting. Um, I wanna thank you all. Um, if you can't support, us with your money or Justice Matters with your money, support us with your time. People power is, is the best thing we got, like Deb was saying. Um, I will say all of us will be around after we break here. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, we'd love to hear them. If you want to get involved, there is a sign-up sheet in the back. Feel free. We want to have you. Um, and otherwise, thank you all so much for your time and interest, and we hope to see you later. Be safe getting home in that cold. As often happens in the news business, by the time KKFI has reported the Justice Matters and Vera Institute of Justice report on the Douglas County Jail, just yesterday, 
The sheriff of Douglas County, Kansas, has announced a jail project proposal that could cost taxpayers over $45 million. Although Justice Matters and the Vera Institute repeatedly met with the sheriff, to my knowledge, the particulars of this plan were never discussed. Although jail housing issues that caused the expansion plan to be proposed have been considered. The news report states the sheriff declines to call this a jail expansion plan because the idea of jail expansion has been controversial in Douglas County for nearly 10 years. Further, the new jail project proposal would not build a bigger jail in that it would have more beds, but it would allow for current beds to be used more efficiently in order to increase the jail's functional capacity. The sheriff confirmed that the new plan would require construction of additional square footage to the existing jail area, and the sheriff agreed that it would be an expansion of the jail and admitted there would be a need for more staff. Sheriff Armbrister said discussion of the new jail project proposal began inside the government in November 2021. That's at the time the Vera Institute was in Douglas County, Kansas. In the recently reported newspaper story, the sheriff did not discuss any method to keep people from being incarcerated. Therefore, whether he believes keeping people out of jail can be accomplished, Justice Matters and the Vera Institute of Justice are willing to continue to address changes that can achieve that goal. Thanks for listening. This is Professor Howard Zinn. The independent, non-commercial radio station you're listening to is really important in the maintenance of democracy. Thomas Jefferson once said, an informed democracy will behave in a reasonable manner. So if you care about being informed, if you care about democracy, if you're a reasonable person, you are, of course. Please support your source for uncensored news and views and the voice of your community. you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you 
Our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. 